Hi, I'm reading about the Silverton's new hotel tower. Ooh. I read that about five minutes ago. This is interesting. The old mahogany cream test. Yeah. And yes, uh, Encore was well clad in uh, February of 2008 already. So. That's what I figured, and that's probably why, you know, I don't remember, of course, the exact dates, and I figured as much, but it doesn't seem like it would make sense why they would leave that out there and why I wouldn't connect the dots and say, oh, that's Encore. You know? Yeah, I mean, it looks a lot like it, right? So. Yeah. Huh. How are you guys? Good. How are you? I'm okay. Getting ready to uh, celebrate America's birthday. <laughs> you know, as you do. <laughs> Why? Why is it so funny? <laughs> you know, the drollness of your delivery, Hunter, always makes me fucking giggle. <laughs> well, you know. You're, you're so just hyper-enthusiastic at all moments. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, uh, yeah. Well, America's birthday. It's important. Come on, Chuck. Be, be a little patriotic. I am. I am. Um, well, good. There's clearly uh, a large set of things to discuss as we've been off the air for a while. I, you know, I, I've been telling the audience that I've been begging you guys to do a show, and you keep saying, no, 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 no. And so I place all responsibility on you. Actually, so you know, just want to put that out there. <laughs> I blame you. I blame you, and that feels good. That feels good. Uh, no, it's good to be back. It's good to be back doing some stuff. We um, we did have an unexpected uh, vacation, um, and there's no people were posting on Twitter and whatnot saying like, "Hey, like, what what's the deal? Like, why are you not around?" Especially because they're were a couple things that happened that uh, traditionally I think we'd want to talk about, which we'll, I think, at least talk about some of those things today. But really, there's no, um, there's no conspiracy. It, uh, it just ended up being a lot harder to schedule a show in the last four weeks than we anticipated, which is maybe not all that surprising. You know, people go, excuse me, people go on vacation in the summer. People go do other things. So it just, we had one of those situations where we couldn't line it up until today. So here we are. Other things? Really, is there anything else than this? I, well, that's a good question. It's sort of an <laughs> existential philosophical question. Um, Dave, I know that you're a historian and not a philosopher, but, I mean, uh, is there anything beyond <laughs> this? Beyond existentialism? I, well, you know, just take that as you will. Beyond the Vegas gang. I mean, is there a world outside there... of these four walls? <laughs> I think there is, but we only see it like a shadow on a cave. Okay, mm, I like I, that. I really, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we're here now, and we can enjoy each other and beam <laughs> our signal out into the world. And you know, um, we it will be. It's very exciting. It's very exciting to be back. I uh, I enjoy speaking with you guys, so I am looking forward to it. Um. Oh, Dave is now showing a little sad, sad uh, Skype message. Is Dave oh, no. gone? Is he drooling? Yeah, is... he's drooling. No, he's, he's oh, no. upside down drooling. He is drooling. Yeah. It's a re- it's a reverse drool. Maybe he's pondering the the message <laughs> on his cave wall. I, <laughs> possible. He's deeply he's deeply wondering. Hmm, 
Ooh, existential messages on the cave wall. Whatever could this possibly mean? I'm using all of this. Oh, he just, <laughs> he just sent me a message saying he blue screened and will reconnect. See, that's why oh. kids, that's why you shouldn't use Windows. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, even, I am even running a beta version of the operating system on my Mac, and it's still working like a champ. So there. And I'm um, running a Zeta version on my uh, 2008, 7, 6 iMac. Late 2009. So, and, I, and I'm working on my beat-up old slow-ass computer. So, See. Well, Dave will be back with us soon where we will talk about all the things that need to yeah. be discussed. Yeah. All of the things. Is there anything to, to we can talk about in the interim? How great Dave is? <laughs> you know, there's so many things about Dave that are great. I agree. <laughs> Dave is great. You know, he's 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 got a uh, he's got a special nickname, which I don't know if we've mentioned on the show, but uh, really, it's definitely it? amongst the VT guys, we call him Doctor Guns. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, he's a, he's in good shape. Yeah. You know, that's how he, that's how he, you know, lifts all those facts. It's all those those library books. He's constantly (laughs) moving around. He's got to be in good shape to do that. So, yeah, no, totally. I always wonder, you know, when you get those big, huge biceps, how do you get your shirt on? Because the cuffs are usually pretty small, right? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never had the problem, so I I can't answer that question. (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. Absolutely not. It's like if I tried to put a tube top on. <laughs> uh, well, Dave should be back with us soon. I'm closely monitoring his status on Super Skype. Super Skype 2000. And there he is, reverse drooling once again. Defying the laws of gravity. No, he's not reverse drooling. drooling. It still shows him as a way. Mm. He's uh, rebooting. Bong! Exactly. I don't even know what the Windows turn your computer on sound is it. I can't remember. They, they used to have the chime, like, dee dee do do. That was like the shutdown sound. I oh, can't remember what the startup sound was. It's got to be on, on YouTube, right? I'm sure. I'm sure. It's just a guy screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we should have a... Uh, a, uh, an extra line plugged in here so I can do some, uh, <laughs> some effects? sound effects. Yeah. yeah. Shit. You figure after what? How long we've been doing this? Is this like nine years? <laughs> that sounds Feels like it. <laughs> nine years and we're still this professional. We're waiting for Skype to connect. <laughs> what version of Windows are they up to now? Windows 10 is coming out on July 29th. So, there you go. The current shipping version is Windows 8.1. They're mm. skipping Windows 9. All right, I'm adding Dave back. Okay. That's it. It said he was online, but now it's just reverse drooling. Oh. Hey. Oh. Oh, and he's back. I'm back. And he's back. The blue, blue screen of death to, has felled many a podcaster. Yeah, I've got a, the, I've now, they, it's been into the shop like five times, and now they're telling me they want to wipe everything and kind of start from scratch, so. 
Maybe that'll help. I I I hope it does. Is that really the startup that's, sound for Windows? That's, that's kind of funky. That was to me. No, was that's that? that was you. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. We're we're huh? We're um we're just we were trying to imagine what your life was like over the last five <laughs> minutes. And so we were looking up startup sounds for Windows. <laughs> No, it's it sounds like um, something from Carmen. It's like da 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 da. Hmm. I haven't heard it in so long. I and I definitely. Well, we're glad that you're back. Glad to be back. Here we go. That's that's an older one. That one I definitely remember. That's that's Windows XP. Okay. Yeah. All right, um, let's talk uh, announcements because we have some. Oh, do we have a special announcement, Chuck? I think we do. I think we do too. Do you have it handy or should I try and find your email? Uh, um, see, if, see if you can track it down while I remind the audience. Yes, yes. That uh, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic 2015 edition, uh, Enterprise Edition, will um, be the... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Weekend, a weekend in October, the 16th, 17th, and 18th, we'll be having events, wonderful events that will include main events and non-main events, so classified and so ordered. Um, the main event is uh, something we've done for many years now, which will include a live version of this podcast featuring a guest that we will announce who will then cancel and another guest that we will then book so shortly thereafter. Um, and then one of our friends will just show up and help us at the last minute, right? Yeah, that seems to be the, that seems to be like the, that. Uh, the way it goes the last couple of years. Um, but we have also got all kinds of other great events throughout the weekend, including um, a new event on that Sunday, which is going to feature some, um, some other podcasting stars, which you'll definitely want to hang around for. Uh, and uh, we've, as we've previously mentioned, the uh, World Series of Satin Casino Jackets will be returning this year, so that's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the the good folks at Five Hundy announced a uh, a new event that will be taking place on their show. I think two weeks ago now, um, which is a a five hundred dog eating contest. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So uh, the good folks at American Coney. When we had our first version, our first VIMF at the, at the D a couple of years ago, they came up with – well, Chuck, I think actually you came up with this, right? But they, they executed yeah. on, uh, on based on, on your instruction, which was to create the 500 dog, which yeah. is a special American Coney chili dog in the sense that there are two dogs in one bun. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty messy extravagance. It's, it's yeah. pretty darn good. And um, in order to take the 500 dog to the next level, there will be an eating contest – that will be judged by uh, 500's own Tim and Michelle Dressen. So that's on Friday night, is that right? Uh, yeah, it'll be the, the last thing on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, they, will, they will be doing the judging. Um, yeah. I don't think that they have announced their criteria yet, other than, you know, whatever amuses them the most. So yeah. I, I will expect you will see uh, all kinds of crazy, crazy goings-on. Yeah, this event. is a... This is not a quantity contest like normal, you know, Atlantic City boardwalk kind of right. deal where you're trying to eat 5,000. It's not about quantity. It's about style. So how you eat this thing, they will determine, you know, who wins based on your artistic panache. Exactly. So that'll be a lot of fun. 
Um, but we have something new to announce, something additional Correct. to announce. Chuck, will you take do the honors? Yeah, we are uh, very happy to announce that we're finally, after many years of trying to get this thing going on, uh, we're finally going to do uh, the Vimph Hangover Casino Challenge Cup. This is going to be a private, multi-game casino gambling tournament. And it'll take place in the high limit area at the Golden Gate. Uh, the, the time right now is scheduled for Sunday morning. Uh, it could change to Saturday morning. We still have to figure out the exact uh, details. But basically, we're going to get everybody together. There's going to be a buy-in. And you're going to get X number of chips, tournament chips, and... You're gonna go, we're going to go round robin from table to table to table until we have one final table of people, like people lose their chips or they get all the chips, and finally have one table at the end, and those people will fight for the championship of the Vimp Hangover Casino Challenge Cup. So, I, so it's excellent. And it, you know whether it's Saturday or Sunday, you're going to want to be there both yeah. days anyway for other events, so you know, it yeah. shouldn't be too big of yeah. a deal. Um, yeah. Though we will... Uh, deliver that information as we have it. So, Chuck, I'm assuming the the, um, the space in the high limit room at the Golden Gate is not a huge space, so I assume we'll have some limit on the number of people we can accommodate. Yeah, we're just like the uh, the Vimftucky Derby. We're going to do sign-ups for this, which will be yeah. basically you're just going to make a reservation saying you're interested in this, and we'll figure out how uh, we can accommodate as many people as possible. You, What we did with the, with the Derby was people t- teamed up, so you could put all your folks together, and then if you have one guy who's great at blackjack, then you have him play. If you have one gal who loves Pi Gal, knows everything about it, or whatever the games may be, uh, we're still determining all that stuff, uh, then then you give them a shot at it. So that's well, a possibility. It will be fun. It will be a lot of fun. So you'll either it'll either be um, you know Saturday morning, which is you know just mere hours after the five hundred dog eating contest, or it will be Sunday morning, just mere hours after our after 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 show. Right. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun, no matter which one it ends up being. Either way, yeah. you're going to be gambling hungover. Right. It's going. To, we're going to fulfill that prophecy, no matter <laughs> what the scheduling, however right. that ends up. So Correct. that much we can promise you. Um, great. Well, I think, as always, the best thing to do if you're interested in this stuff is to go to VegasInternetMafia.com. That is the definitive uh, location for updates. Um, you can also follow the at Vimpf uh, account on Twitter, which um, will send out secret messages uh, every now and again. So it's mm-hmm. a, good, a good thing to be tuned into, um, especially as we get closer and closer the quantity of information will increase. And um, during the event, you definitely want to be following the account so that you can get the latest. Though um, I think also for folks that are iPhone users, we we are planning to do uh, another version of the VIMP app again. So that will be another spot you could use to get information during the event. Awesome. Awesome. Super excited. It's going to be fun. We had a sort of um, mini VIMP preview uh this a couple weeks ago um some with some uh, of the uh, familiar players and that was a lot of fun we'll actually want to talk a little bit about that in the context of some of the stuff that happened but uh we'll get to that in a little bit but um it's going to be great all of the past years have been super great and uh we hope that you can come mm-hmm. uh yes. the um 
The uh, website includes information on uh, discount codes for the D and the Golden Gate. So we always encourage people to patronize our hosts. Uh, so if you are going to go and you would like to save a few dollars, that is one way to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I believe that's all that we've got on the announcements front. Am I correct? I believe that's the case. Yep. Um, so we'll just dive in. And I think uh, there's really no place to start uh, other than with the death of Kirk Kerkorian, which occurred uh, back at the beginning of June, so about a, almost a month ago now, June 6th. Um, he was 98 years old. And so, uh, you know, uh, he is, has obviously been getting older over the years, as we all do. Um, so in, I guess in some ways it's hard to say unexpected um, in the sort of bigger sense of that word. Uh, but, you know, still a pretty uh, monumentally important event uh, in terms of how impactful he was. Um, Dave, actually, so, of course, there's a lot of media on this. You're, you're quoted in one of the stories saying Kerkorian may have had the biggest impact of any one individual ever on the Strip. Um, assuming you weren't misquoted, do you want to share why you believe that to be true? Yeah. If you look at number of rooms, I think he's there. You know, probably there's more. He built, well, let's see, how many rooms did he build in Vegas? You know, 3,000 at the, what is now the Westgate, 3,000 at Bally's, 5,000, well, what is now Bally's, 5,000 at the MGM, you know, say another, what, 1,500 New York, New York, throw that one in there, 4,000 at Aria, another 1,000 or so in the signature behind MGM. So I don't know, I've lost track already. It's a lot of rooms. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of rooms. So I, you know, he's just a builder. He, he built stuff in Las Vegas and I think really changed the city in a way different way than Steve Wynn did. Steve Wynn brought that style. I think Kirk Okorian brought the scale. It's hmm. a good way of putting it. Hmm. So I think the guy is fascinating, and I, I'm not going to go into his biography here. Um, it's hard for me to imagine a person that listens to this show on a regular basis that isn't familiar with the broad strokes. Um, but, uh, you know, in the wake of his death, there's been a lot written about sort of how he grew up and some of the details, which I would encourage you to go back and look at. It, there's all they're scoured all over the place. But, you know, a very interesting guy because despite um, wielding an incredible amount of power in Las Vegas was not a, you know, sort of the anti-Steve Wynn in that regard, right? Steve Wynn likes to be out there and very much uh, be seen and be be a part of the whole thing and uh, and put his put his name and face on stuff, which, which is the opposite of the way Kerkorian operated, uh, Kerkorian operated. So actually what I wanted to ask you, Dave, is the Kerkorian that I think of is the one that I've been familiar with since, you know, maybe going back to the MGM Mirage merger uh, in 2000, uh, previous, but clearly his involvement in Las Vegas stretches way back. Um, has he, was, he, was this always his thing, or was he ever more of a sort of in-the-thick-of-it operator than he has been since, since bankrolling MGM for all this time? Pretty much he was always that way. You know, if you go back to the Caesars Palace days, he had an office in Caesars Palace when he was the landlord there for that couple of months before after Caesars opened, but before he bought the Flamingo and started with the International. And, you know, there he just was kind of like, okay, Jay, pay me my rent, and, and that's it. He was never the guy going out in the casino and walking around and trying to show off like that. So I think that's always been his deal. I think that's always been his deal. 
it's interesting. Um, you know, MGM clearly – well, not only did MGM go through uh, two gigantic mergers uh, between the – in the early 2000s um, that turned the company into what it is today, but also, you know, famously um, had a, a big run of financial trouble in the wake of the – uh, of the financial crisis, and I, I think it's clear that if Kerkorian had not supported management, people like Jim Mern would be long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but so clearly, he believed in people like Mern, and uh, you know, perhaps history will show that that was extremely well placed. We've been sometimes critical of uh, MGM management in the past. Um, you know, does that seem like the right move uh, for him to to stick to his guns with those guys? It looks like it was. You know, the company's definitely in the rebound, so it looks like it was. I, th- I just a thought just came to me, which I don't know. I'm just going to kind of put it in words and see where it leads. This is jumping ahead to one of the topics you had on the list. I don't know yeah, what we're going to get to about my former boss running for president. Right. You know, Kirk Kerkorian, what he actually delivered is a li- lot like what Donald Trump says he delivered. Hmm. Delivers. You know, Trump says he's this big builder and this and that and that, you know, but most of his buildings, now he's just licensing his name. It's not like he's running it. You know, when he was running Trump, whatever it was called, Trump Hotel and Casino Resorts, whatever it was called, then, you know, what's now Trump Entertainment Resorts, it's not like he was out there, he wasn't out there laying the slot floor and doing stuff like that. You know, Kerkorian was the guy like Trump, that didn't get involved directly in the operations, but he had his own money behind it. And he was kind of like Trump. It was all about the deal, the art of the deal. So it's interesting how they're... He, Kerkorian just has such a fascinating career because he started off as a rival to Howard Hughes. Right. And then you've got Steve Wynn, and he buys Steve Wynn's company. You know, he's kind of like... Again, I said kind of like what Donald Trump says he is, he actually was as far as controlling the companies and, you know, finishes off his career in this time when you've got institutional investors and private equity and all that other stuff. So it's very interesting how the span of his career in gaming. I think, and I don't know if there's a way to answer this question, but I always wonder, um, these guys that get into these enterprises, like, do they care about gambling or do they just want to build big buildings? And it, for a long time, you know, the, the only way that you could make economic sense out of some of these gigantic buildings was to have a casino attached, right? Because it was the economic engine that made the whole thing work. I, Dave, and I don't know if you have any, if there's any way to really figure this out, but do you have any sense, did Kerkorian like gambling or was it a way to build huge hotels? <laughs> I've, I, uh, got an email from someone who I know in the business who says, who said that one of the well-kept secrets was that Kirk Corian was actually a really big sports better mm. and had um, some other folks putting down some action for him. So gotcha. yeah, he was, again, this isn't the kind of thing that he publicized, but sure. yeah, he definitely had an interest in gambling, you know, from what I've heard. I never saw him placing sports bets. He never called me to say, hey, what's your pick? You know, so I'm not saying like, yeah, I was there. This is just what somebody who is in a position to know yeah. would know, said, yeah, people don't know this, but he was actually a really big sports better too. Yeah, so there you go. that's, so yeah, I think he, he had an appreciation for that. And you don't, 
make billions of dollars investing in companies without having that appreciation for gambling. And I think that you're right. It's not, but for him, it wasn't about owning a casino. Like for Steve Wynn, it's about owning a casino. And I guess also about everything that comes with that, the whole development experience. You know, if he could make more money turning his casinos into Pokemon, whatever, <laughs> arenas or something, he would probably do it because that's what he's there to do, to make money for himself right. and his partner. So I, I think at, at, that's more like that. But I think they're all like that today, which is why we have developments going on like what we're going to talk about later. Right, right. Um, Chuck, what's your take on this? I mean, uh, what's, what, what do you, how, how do you see Kerkorian's legacy in Las Vegas? You know, this is really just kind of a gigantic question, <laughs> and uh, Dave really is the best guy to answer this, but I'm just amazed that uh, he had such an epic influence on so many industries, you yeah. know, not only the gambling business and the resort business, and but, but the, uh, the movie business, mm-hmm. you know, huge epic, and the airline business, and... The business business, you know, it went from the beginning of his life right up to the end. Not all that long ago, Tracinda, his his corporation, issued a statement supporting uh, current management at MGM and telling investors to uh, ignore the land and buildings right. uh, that that uh, proxy takeover they were trying to do. So he had his eyes on this prize uh, right from the beginning, uh, and he and he spawned a a whole generation of people who look up to him or have fully followed in his footsteps, like Alex Yamanijian, uh, and I'm sure you guys know tons of others, but uh, his shadow is really long, but he's a different kind of shadow like than Steve, like what you mentioned. He's definitely a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, but he controlled it all. So, strange mix of, like, a lack of ego, but still the desire right. to play the game. Fascinating character. It's interesting. I think lack of egos is fair, though clearly very competitive, right? Especially yeah. if you go back and look at his rivalry with Hughes. Like, that was no joke, right? Like, it was yeah. a competitive thing. And so clearly, and I guess it's hard to imagine getting, being as successful as he was in business without that competitive edge. I don't think that's really possible. Um, but it is interesting to see somebody that, that didn't, have, didn't have that need to be, you know, wasn't sort of megalomaniacal, right? He had no need to be out in front of the camera all the time. You can still have drive, you know, to drive and intensity to succeed without it being ego-driven. It's just business acumen, you know, is you want to win the game. You want to beat the other person, not because you want to be the champion, but because you want to beat them, you know? He was was a very uh, avid tennis player right up to the end, too, uh, I don't even. I didn't, did anybody know he was sick, or is just? No, I think it was. You know, like I had the sense that it was relatively sudden because mm. he was pretty active up until I think a couple of weeks before this happens. I had the sense it was relatively sudden. You know, I think the thing about it is that there's you walk in to win, and to a lesser extent, Bellagio on the earlier properties, and there's a real sense of Steve Wynn's personality. And not to be weird, but even after he's not guiding it actively, I think that's going to remain. And you don't have that for Kirk Kerkorian. Walking through the, his, the buildings that his company built, there isn't that same, a pers- same personality in the design, which I don't think is a bad thing, because his philosophy was, 
I put the deals together and let the guys who run the places run the places, which right. is which is very welcome. I think everybody, anybody who actually runs the places, likes that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, before we move on, I wanted to just ask you guys, you know, what? How does this impact MGM, if at all? Uh, the Tristinda has indicated that they're going to divest themselves of their shares, but they'll do it over time. It's not exactly clear uh, how they'll do it, but you know, they're, they're not going to go out and dump everything one afternoon and crater the stock or anything like that. Um, but does this have an impact? I mean, for a long time, you know, management could, as long as they knew that he had their back, they could, were relatively free to make certain moves. That's not going to be the case anymore. I mean, it was diminished over time as he reduced his position, but that's not going to be the case at all anymore. Is that going to impact the company going forward? I don't think it will, and I think this, again, shows what a class act Kirkorian was. He knew that this company would be a big part of his legacy, and I think he made plans for an, order, an orderly succession and stepped down his involvement, you know, stepping off the board a couple of years ago. So I, I'm not sure it'll have such a huge impact. Yeah. All right. Well... Clearly uh, a huge, huge figure, and um, sad to see him go, but uh, glad that we got the chance to talk about it. I'd like to ask just the, the last little yeah. bit. Dave, I know you've talked to him. Mm -hmm. What was he like as, as a human being? You know, this is one conversation. He was absolutely gracious, very generous with his time, and just came across as a nice guy, self-deprecating. And, you know, what I do, you could look at somebody who's pulling the trigger in billion-dollar deals and stuff like that. What I'm doing with my writing and history and stuff is so insignificant in so many ways to people at that level. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's easy to have that perception because what I'm doing is not <laughs> bringing that kind of monetary gain to anybody. But he took the time to make to make sure I got the story right and talked to me and was very helpful. So that to me, that says a lot because he didn't have to do it. It was not like anybody, you know, it, I pretty much just cold called his office. It wasn't like it was a juice job and somebody, you know, I mentioned somebody's name to get in there. So pff, he had no, you know, no real reason to help other than he wanted to get that out there. So I class act as far as I'm concerned. Great, thank you. All right. Um, so, Kirk Kerkorian is, is gone. Um, you know, there's also another big departure uh, in the industry, and um, we, we now live in a, a Loveman-free zone. Um, <laughs> not entirely. Not, not entirely. En not entirely, <laughs> but operationally, I think, uh, he remains on the board at uh, Caesars Entertainment, but he is no longer the CEO of the company, um, and he's been in an operational role there for, I don't know, how long now? It seems like forever, D decades, right? I mean, 17 years, I think? No. Yeah. It's, got, it's a Less, long time. I think, yeah. He was, the what, the COO before he was the CEO, so yeah. he's been around for quite a while. Um, he's, uh, he's stepping down, or has now stepped down as of the 1st of July, um, but uh, we'll, we'll still be involved in, uh, as, a, as a board member. Um, and I think he's working on some of the bankruptcy stuff as well. But, you know, we've got uh, Mark Frisora, Frisora, I believe is his name, who is the, uh, the new head honcho. Um, no gaming industry experience. We've talked about him before. 
Um, what is next for Caesars Entertainment? Uh, is this um, there was there's been a couple of epic articles on Caesars in the past um, month or so. There was a Wall Street Journal piece maybe a week ago uh, that talked about this, and then there was a another another piece in was it Fortune magazine uh, maybe three weeks ago that included. Uh, where they talked to Loveman and the TPG guys and the Apollo guys. And it was actually, if people haven't read that, I would strongly recommend it because it really lays out the timeline about basically everything that happened in a lot of detail and shows how they like doubled and tripled down. And basically the gist of the story is that they figured if we can just hold out a little longer, another sort of back, another, uh, another emergency exit is going to appear before us. And so they were like, if we can just push this out a little further, things will get better enough in the economy that we'll be able to pull it off. And they did that as long as they could until the whole thing just, you know, they just went further than they could handle. And they had to, they had to go for the bankruptcy. But, you know, what do you think? Do we, do we expect any real changes at the company? I mean, uh, Loveman is famously associated with total rewards and this whole idea of marrying um, a lot of that technology with players. I, I think you could make an argument that the industry either will or at least needs to go through um, some dramatic change to bring in younger gamblers and people that maybe don't care as much about slot machines and embrace whether it's social media, but like sort of social technology and technology in general. seems like that's got to be on a cusp um, – is Frisora a guy that can help Caesars through this through this change? Uh, what do you guys think? What, what's your take on this? I don't know anything about Frisora, you know, other than he was at Hertz, but it's got to be a really weird, weird experience to go within the space of, what is it, like 18 months from running Hertz to suddenly running the biggest gaming company in the U.S. It's got to be really weird after having no gaming experience. It's like, yeah. I don't know, just totally switching tracks like that. So I don't really know what his shtick is, for lack of a better term, but I think there's going to have to be changes because you don't come in as CEO not to make changes. You know, that's right. what they get the bonuses for, whether it's $2 million or $1.9 million. That's what they get the bonuses for. So I think there will be changes. Don't know what that will mean at all. Chuck, if you were made CEO of Caesars tomorrow, what would you change? Oh, boy. I'd probably uh, eliminate some of the properties. They yeah. have their fingers in a lot of pies, a lot of JVs, a lot of partnerships with uh, tribes. And I'd try and focus more, you know, some of the, some of the more bottom feeder things need to drop off. You know, a, a, a boat in the middle of nowhere, maybe they, they find that it's worth it to, to keep adding those names into the, into the Rolodex. But I'd probably reduce... Uh, the amount of, of debt exposure in terms of properties and do the math simply and maybe even consider getting rid of some things in Vegas, you know? Con oh, I would get rid of things in Vegas first, I think. What would yeah. you get rid of? What, what, what I would, would you, you know, I would definitely set the Rio free yeah. and probably that tier from Planet Hollywood to Bally's. Really? I at, yeah, I would look at and then focusing on the core properties there. That way you've got Caesars and then you've got the properties right across the street there. That, that's what I would look at. Make it a leaner company. I would probably do something, try to improve the process internally so that there wasn't, wasn't such a top-heavy management structure 
maybe devolving some powers to the property people. I know that was a big deal where they were supposed to show so many economies of scale by centralizing things, but I don't think that's really, I think you lose something when you do that. So maybe it's okay for purchasing and stuff like that, or maybe not, but I think for other things, you have to have more autonomy at the property level. So that would be a big thing as well. I would also really look at employee relations because that is such an important thing. It is a hospitality business, and part of that is being hospitable, and employees can't be hospitable if they don't feel like they've been hospitable too, if that makes sense. So I'd kind of look at what would make the people happy who have to spend eight hours a day there. You know, what little things would make them happy? And give it to them. Because it's never never really the big things. There's always the little things that get people mad. Yeah, well, generally, yeah. I I think, you know, a new CEO will have a certain amount of goodwill and people will give a certain amount of, of benefit of the doubt for so he does have some opportunity here to make some changes mm-hmm. um, of course if things um, don't go well uh, I'm not sure how long that will last but um, yeah I think uh, you know for me I, I agree I mean I think the focus thing is is maybe the biggest piece uh, trying to reduce some of that sprawl um, and and uh, and eliminate some of those properties. Rio seems like a no-brainer. It's been rumored so many times I've lost count, um, sort of hanging out out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be harder for them sort of uh, in terms of like culturally to get rid of Paris Valley's Planet Hollywood, but maybe that is the right move. Um, definitely would, uh, would bring in some cash, so that would be good. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're going to have to see. This guy has no gaming experience, as you mentioned, Dave. I assume that uh, you know he's getting a lot of help from uh, from the other folks there, but he'll have to ramp up and get this stuff figured out uh, because so he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, go ahead. Here's my questions question for you guys. You're Mark Fasora. Who are the first three or four people you call up in Vegas who you want to have lunch with, I, talk, talk the business with? Who do you call? Um, I would probably call like someone like Rob Osland. Uh, okay. I, I would. I wouldn't call like a Steve Wynn. Like, yes, All I'm right. sure that would be a fascinating conversation. But he's going to talk the whole time about how awesome Steve Wynn is. <laughs> like, I, I don't. I would. I mean, I definitely would get around to that at some point, just because it would be fun. But it wouldn't help me at all in my job. Okay. Right? I don't. I don't think that he's he's got operational stuff that he's going to share. That's going to. I mean, I just. I, maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but I think that would be mostly a vanity exercise. Um. But yeah, some of those like young, hungry guys that have had success, I think they may have, have some interesting, uh, some interesting ways of looking at things. I would get uh, Glenn Schaefer on the phone and say, "Hey, dude, I want to talk to you because you had a good <laughs> run. You got some bad luck, but uh, you had a good run, and I'm sure there's a lot I could learn from you." So um, I don't know. I think the obvious, sort of the obvious answer would be someone like uh, oh, Steve Wynn or Jim Murn, like people at his level, which I'm sure would be interesting, but. I'm not. I think you'd get more interesting, better stuff from some of a couple people, a little, few notches down the down the ladder. How about you, Chuck? What do you think? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. You know, why would he call Jim Murren? That's just you know, yes, but at the same point, do you think they're going to sit around and talk about the business? Is Jim going to really want to share information with him? I doubt it. And the same thing might go to a less degree with Steve. I'd think Steve would be a little bit more open to having a discussion because, you know, Steve likes to hear himself talk. Uh, I think he should call uh, Alex Yemenigian because he has a long history in the business, even if his last 
uh, thing didn't work so well, you should call Anthony Marnell, mm-hmm. uh, who's just, you know, I, I believe I wrote about this recently. That show that we did with him was my personal favorite of all the Vegas gang shows. When we were done with that, I was practically crying and out of breath listening to him emote about what was going on. And, and I think you should call you, Dave, frankly. He should get you on the phone because you have a historical perspective and... And you're going to obviously tell him something, which I hope you'll tell us right now what you would say to him. Okay. I'm now, I'm now on the spot. First of all, I would say <laughs> thank you because after a long, long hiatus, Grandissimo is on sale again. <laughs> Palace, uh, I think, I don't know if it's a Forum Essentials or I, I'm pretty sure it's just in the uh, Forum and Forum Essentials. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. So thank you again. Have not gotten any checks from the latest sales yet, but hopefully that resolves itself. But it is, did get that out after like six months, so that's good back there. So thank you, Mark. Uh, number two, I would just say let's, let's have a talk about the history of the properties. Let's talk about how the life cycle of properties, when do they, when do they jump the shark, how do they do it. And I'd probably suggest some people for him to call, which I would say John Akers, who is a slot guy who is not a household name to some people, but to people in the industry it is. And he's the guy who's been telling people for about five years that slot machines are dying. So I'd want to talk to him. I would say I'd want to spend some time at the D with Derek Stevens and just shadow him. How, what, do you, what is this thing that where a guy comes in to Vegas who is an MBA and success in another field and then he drinks a lot of coffee and sits at his bar for 24 hours to watch people. You know, what's the deal with that? How's that work? You know, <laughs> where you kind of humble yourself and open yourself up like that. Are, so you, sure are you sure it's coffee? <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. Okay. That's, that's what Derek said. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, I, other person I think I would talk to is George Maloof. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's going on? You know, you're, you're doing your thing. What's a, how, again, how did you do that at the Palms? You know, what he did to the Palms is incredible. How do you do that? And then figure out where do I find people who have these qualities to run the properties? Because I think that's where it all happens. You need somebody running the properties who is going to be there on a daily basis. You know, and this is something that struck me in some of the pit boss interviews I'm doing. I interviewed a guy who is the director of table games at the Bellagio. And he, you know, we were just talking about stuff, and I said, well, what's important for someone in your position? He says, you know, you have to be on the floor. And he's saying how, yeah, if I'm down there and the floor person is really hammered, I'll go in and I'll, I'll do a credit slip. You know, I'll, get the, I'll do the credit stuff for him. I'll just go in there and do the paperwork. You know, I'm not going to just point the finger at somebody else and make them do it. And I think you need somebody like that who's going to... And another thing I'll say is when I'm walking the floor, and you guys have probably seen it too, when you're walking the floor with executives, some of them will stop and pick up trash. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of them don't. <laughs> In my experiences, the people who bend over and pick up the trash are usually the better ones because they're not just, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be there. They have that sense of personal responsibility. You know, this is my property, and I'm not just going to write a memo to environmental services six hours from now, I'm going to do it myself and help the people around me because they're probably working hard. So I think you need that kind of, you need to find people like that. And the, the, those people may already be 
in the system, it's just getting, giving them that autonomy at the property level where somebody says, this person's in charge, the buck stops with them. And I think you'll see a lot of improvements. Good answer. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does, how this all plays out. Um, you know, the, their financial structure is still incredibly complicated in um, <clears throat> going through all this bankruptcy stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what he ends up doing. I'm definitely very curious. He's, he's a big question mark over the guy's head right now just because he's such an unknown quantity. Yeah, and but I think he, you know, he's probably going to make some major changes if we assume that he's going to have at least a five-year tenure here. You know, which I think is probably about average for people at that level. You know, he's probably he's going to be seeing this company in the 2020s, so steering right. steering it somewhere, and that's kind of, that's going to be really important because there's a lot of things that are going to happen. So I think that he has the potential to really leave a. Tremendous mark on that company and the industry as well, and not a skid mark. No, I think he can really do. I think he can really do something. There's just there's so much potential there. There's just so much potential. Well, when they're a little slimmed down from the debt and they become hungry again, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know if you set this up on purpose, Chuck. But speaking of skid mm. marks. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a visit to uh, slowly losing SAS. I don't know. I can't remember something fast enough. But SLS, uh, a place that you stayed, and I'm sure you'll be posting a review on VT at some point. Yes. But um, you did post uh, two things I want to talk about here. One, um, their financials, which we have some insight into. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll talk about that in a second. But first, you found poop at SLS. Really (laughs) gross. What happened? I listen. Are I you looking for this poop? No, I I uh, you know this really I couldn't believe it honestly. Like because I had written four or five years ago, I stayed at at the Sahara, and when I got there, I got out of the car and I walked and was going down the self park uh, stairways, and it was covered covered in grime and filth. It was absolutely disgusting. I'd never seen anything like this before. And I had posted about it when I got home. It was like, this place is, is I think, a disgusting, dirty hellhole. And apparently, I was told by some people in the know that that caused quite a ruckus. And uh, they went and had the thing spray cleaned and fixed. And it was fixed the next time I went there, which wasn't that long ago. I posted a follow-up. Uh, and they, they sent me an apology saying, we're sorry about your experience. Uh, so... That was then. This is now brand new SLS. It's been completely refurbished. I have not visited the property until earlier this month, last month, June. So uh, I hadn't been there. I, you know, we did all the coverage leading up to it. I wanted to give them time. I learned my lesson at Cosmopolitan. Don't show up too earlier because it's, it's gonna, you're going to have a problem. So I waited quite a long time before going to, to give, it, give it a stay. And... I get out of the car, fourth floor, self-parking. I walk down, bring my stuff, and I go over to the stairs. And there at the landing, at the bottom of the landing, I see this brown spot. And I go down there, and I see it is giant trail. I wouldn't say it's that giant, but it's certainly a sizable trail of super dried, crusty poop. Are you sure it's poop? It's definitely poop. 
It's absolutely, it's poop. Animal or human? I think it's human because it's the fourth floor. Okay. You know, a cat would have to go up four flights of stairs to poop there. You know, and they did just have all that construction and all that noise in there. I just don't know if there would be a cat up there, but it seemed like sort of a squad. You know, like some guy coming out of the club with his buddies drunk, like, ooh, I think I'm going to put... Either way, whether it's human or animal, I have no. I have no idea. It could be some dudes jumping out of the... You know, he goes to the club, he has one too many sliders, and then he deposits one on the, on the stairwell on the way back to the car. Who knows? Could be an employer, could be somebody with a, a vendetta, but it was dried, it was crusty, it was stuck there. <laughs> it had been baking in the sun... You know, the heat, you know, the metal heats up during the weather. It's not that hot out, but it had been there for a while. It was an old poop, old crusty poop. So I took a picture of it and I'm like, I can't, I can't believe this. Like, what's the luck, right? I, <laughs> I just got here. You know, I'm, I'm open-minded. I took, took a vacation after all the SLS stuff. Like, I, had, I have a new attitude. I have a new lease on Vegas life, I'm ready to go. I want to give them a fair shot. I want to write a really, I park all my, you know, assumptions at the door. And I walk in and there's a big, you know, crusty smear of poop on the, on the stairs. So I just looked at it again and it kind of looks like a seahorse. Yeah, it is. It's, it looks like a kind of a question mark. Like <laughs> a little, you know question mark poop like are you sure you want to stay here <laughs> you know i felt bad i'm like god i can't not post this right it's just too much history and, and the fact that it's the stairs and it's dirt and i'm here you know i have to post it but i felt kind of bad i'm like god man these guys are never gonna get a break never so. was it there when you left yeah it was there when i left I oh took the, no i took the photo the first day and then I thought, I was like, wow, you know, folks might say, Chuck, that could be anywhere. That could be any stir. You just got it in for the SLS. So that's when I took the video of the sign in the parking garage and then went down. And that was the next day. Yeah. Wow. So it might be there now. I have no idea. They probably, since if they've seen the post, which I assume so, they've gone and cleaned it up, but. I assume that, you know, the parking garage doesn't get the same uh, environmental services attention that the casino does, but that's yeah. still pretty gnarly. Actually, I've got a little bit of experience with this in my um, former <laughs> Do life. Tell. So when, this is back when I was working in security, security command at the Taj, and somebody, so one of the housekeepers, housekeeping supervisors called me up and said, somebody defecated on this, you know, at the stairway between floors X and X, you know, somebody defecated. I'm like, and I was being my goofy self, I'm like, oh, how are you sure it wasn't a dog or something? How do you know it was a person? He's like, he just says, I know. <laughs> really? like, whoa, that's why I asked. I'm like, whoa, okay, calm down. So I called EVS and said, okay, look, somebody took a crap. <laughs> you guys, you know, can you please send someone up to clean it? And he said, no, I won't do it. That's a housekeeping job. Uh, will not send people up there. And I called housekeeping. He said, no, it's not in the room. It's their job. So I called the other guy back and said, look, I'm doing a report about this. If you don't want to clean it, <laughs> you'll have to answer for it. I don't care what you do, but I'm giving, putting your name in our report saying that I notified you that it's there. So, 
Hopefully somebody cleaned it because yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to go up and clean it. I didn't have the supplies. Well, then you don't pass the muster, the gauntlet muster that you threw down just one subject ago <laughs> about the good executives go and pick up the poop they find on the ground. Yeah, the difference was that I wasn't an executive. I was making oh, okay. 25 an hour. <laughs> and I would probably end if I left my post. I would get in right. a lot of trouble. You'd be in shit. I would, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have gloves. <laughs> so uh, five an hour, I wouldn't do that. Executive pay, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be getting out the sawdust or whatever. <laughs> it's uh, highly unfortunate. I'm sure it does happen from time to time. It's, uh, it's, it's not. It's too bad that they that they left it there for that long. It's. I agree. It, it's, it, at the SLS, it's, on the SLS side, at least. Um, I, in addition, there's so many ways that we could segue into this subtopic, but they lost a lot of money. Um, we, yeah. we have we've now had some insight into their financials, and you know, it's been the all of the external signs have been prevalent. You know, them closing places, restaurants, and nightclubs, and cutting hours, and just you know, not there not being a lot of people in in the place a lot, a lot of the time. So it's been, I don't think it's any big surprise. I think really, so we, we have now learned that they lost $35.3 million in the first quarter. Um, perhaps uh, more interesting, at least to me, is that the private equity owners had to inject, I think, $5 million in April, and I assume that that will continue, which might... My real question is, how long will this go on? Like, how long, how many months in a row are these people willing to put in five, four, five, six million dollars to keep the thing going? I know that they said there was an RJ article on this topic, and they said that, you know, basically they made it sound like, yeah, we, you know, we've got this budgeted. It's part of, you know, it's, it's happening, but it's a lot of money and it's ongoing. Um, at some point, are they going to decide that they're throwing good money after bad? What are their options otherwise? Well, I mean, you know, it, that, that's the question, right? They're weighing yep. their existing investment against putting more in. I guess, you know, they're, they, I'm certain, have, um, you know, projections and estimates that show that the business is going to get to a certain place at a certain time. I'm sure they have benchmarks built in. Um, I assume, my, I guess ultimately... You know, what What are those, right? And I'm, I know you guys probably don't know, but if you do, please share. Um, yeah. But, you know, at some point they're like, well, things aren't getting better. They're actually getting worse. This is not – this isn't going to work out. And the question is, like, where that point is, assuming that things don't improve considerably. Um, you know, if you look at the neighborhood, they've got a chance with Resorts World, but that's years out. Um, and it's know. far away. Yeah. I mean, that's what I say, a chance. Like, it's not like – their next door neighbor is opening up, right? That their situation to me, as an outside observer hovering at thirty thousand feet, still seems pretty bleak. But um, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Well, I think, like Chuck said, you know, what are the options really? Is anybody going to give them something that would give them any kind of return investment on it? I don't think so. Not at this point. The other question is, what could they do to operate it better? You know, would somebody else be able to make that property more successful? Maybe. So I don't know. You know, do what kind of options that they look at? Should they be doing more high roller stuff? Not sure. Not sure. But it's kind of a tough thing to get people to come in and gamble at anywhere. 
I got a postcard from them not all that long ago, three or four months ago. <clears throat> and it said, basically, Dear Sahara Player. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a photo on the other side. Half of it was the Sahara and half of it was the SLS. And uh, they offered me three nights, free nights to come stay there. Three free nights to come stay there. I don't even know if I played when I was at the Sahara, maybe a little bit, and I it was probably craps, and I don't think I gave the guy my card. They are scraping the bottom of the barrel of finding people to come. And uh, the clientele there uh, was some people going to the club, and it was a lot of folks that I got the impression got the same postcard as me. And... This is a difficult uh, story for them to, to get with because the stuff they offer doesn't necessarily match to those kinds of folks. They were generally older. They are older than me, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe more. Do they want to have an umami burger? Probably not. Do they want to spend $90 for a half a rack ribs or whatever it is that they have at the, the Bizarre Meat? Probably not. Are they going to go to the Foxtail Club? Probably not. So they have no pool access to. You know, it's very... They've kind of ran themselves into... They painted themselves in a corner and then jumped off a bridge at the same time. It's, 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 it's a world of hurt. The people they thought they were going to show up, they didn't. And then the people that they have there, uh, the offerings don't match. You know, I stayed there for, you know, two days, and I ran out of places to eat. It got so bad, I had to walk to Circus Circus because I wanted to eat something different. I didn't want to eat at the cafe again or have another umami burger or have another slice of pizza because everything else was closed. Wow. So, you know, that's a problem when you're bored after one day of what's going on there. Yeah, that is a problem. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, they said that uh, the Rock and Rio stuff brought a lot of people through their doors. Um, of course, you guys are right that what's the alternative, but at the same time, they're not going to throw money into $5 million a month into this place forever, right? Mm -hmm. It's just eventually that will be more than what they spent to do it. It'll be, that's a long that, – that eventually is a long way away still. That's but true. it's it's not – they're not going to do this forever. So something has to change. Clearly, um, the best opportunity for them is to have the place make more money. Um, but that is hard, um, as we have seen. You know, the people that are, are there are not dummies. Um, so, you know, it's a tough gig, and it's just – at least it's – there's no obvious solution. Um, clearly, if there was, they would be implementing it, but it, it looks pretty rough. Well, I think – imagine what they probably will do is – close the story tower or the world tower or the Lux tower. They'll close one of those hotel towers altogether. Uh, they'll dismiss all the housekeepers or whoever is left there. That seems like probably the easiest beginning to this, you know, but other than that, really the restaurants are closed. They just closed the other nightclub, you know, they had a big contract with Steve Angelo to, to perform right. there, and now he's bolted. He's gone to Omnia. So no reason for that. I wonder if there's anything that they could do on the casino side to bring people in that otherwise aren't interested. Uh, you know, we constantly, if you listen to uh, shows like 500, 
Uh, and let's be honest, there's only one 500. <laughs> um, but if you listen to 500, um, you, uh, you hear people lament bad gambling conditions again and again, right? And we know that the average sort of tourist gambler doesn't know the difference between 3-2 and 6-5 when they're playing blackjack. And so the casinos take advantage of this and they give people really crappy odds, people that don't care. But there are people that do care. There are people that know what the numbers mean. Do they have an opportunity in being turning themselves into a really good place to gamble? Because, I mean, you talk to people like John, you know, who writes for you at VT or Michelle. I mean, they, they were talking about their trip there last time where they had to beg a guy to open a $5 blackjack table when, yeah. the other, when a bunch of the tables were standing empty yeah. um, because the limits were too high. I mean, that just seems really stupid. I don't understand that. Um, but do they have an opportunity there by becoming an awesome gambling emporium? Yes, but at that point, it sort of lowers the the status of the brand. Then it becomes yeah. a, a grind joint again, and they just bucked that by spending three hundred million dollars on this property. Right. So, but I, you know, I was walking around. I'm looking at tables, ten, fifteen bucks. You know, if they had a dollar, two dollar crafts table, three dollar crafts table, sure, I'll get on that. You know, my limited blogger budget can handle that. I'll go. I'll give it hell. But you know, instead I'm walking around and and bored. Right. Hmm. Seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Grind away, man. Grind away. So what you know, other than reducing eliminating stuff, closing towers, getting rid of people, what ha- what what happens next? Are they are they going to close it? Do you think they close it or sell it or what? What are the options here? Well, I mean, they need to generate demand. They can only cut costs so far, right, Uh, before the place deteriorates into nothingness. If they want to operate it, they need to find a way to generate more demand. And the sort of Me Too approach that's been taken so far uh, hasn't been working for them. I don't, I don't know the answer. As far as what the, what the exit op- opportunities are, I'm sure they could try to sell it, but it would be you know pennies on the dollar compared to what they put into it. And why would you want to buy it at this point? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd have because to... Because you'd have to put more money into it to change the stuff that's already there. I think it would be better for them just to try to turn it around. It's, it's weird, too. You know, I think, in a way, the SBE thing might be handicapping them because they prob- it probably limits our opportunities for partnerships and JVs yeah. where you could say, okay, we've got this big space at life. Okay, let's have somebody come in and run and take it over. Right. You know, they're not going to be able to do that because they've got SBE there. So that's kind of strange. You know, instead it's probably going to be let's turn it back into a theater and do something with more traditional entertainment. I wonder what those contracts are like. I wonder if Stockbridge could come in and say, yeah, you know, like we're really the financial muscle here. We are making some changes. Yeah. It's weird, though, how everybody's kind of converged. Everybody – I'm not I'm, – I'm way overstating it now. But I've spent a lot of time driving up and down Harmon – the past week or so, and I kept on seeing in front of Aria that sign saying, this is how we Vegas yeah. mm-hmm. on the marquee. And it just struck me that, you know, remember back at the press conference when it opened, it was like, well, this is Vegas for people who don't like Vegas. Yeah. And this is the anti-Vegas. Yeah. And they kind of came full circle. They came back to, no, this is, this is pure Vegas. This is yeah. Vegas at its most pure. Okay, it's kind of funny how everybody starts out like, oh yeah, we're going to be the alternative. We're going to do things differently. It's going to be a totally different vibe. And then they eventually come back to, oh no, we're going to, this, 
you know, we're, we're going to be total Vegas. Yep. Slot machines, drinks, partying, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like what, oh my God, Jeff Kutosh said in that, that the thing I quoted him, my story about the Riviera saying, you know, people come to Vegas to see, to have fun and see yeah. naked women and let's let them do that. That kind of <laughs> seems to be what, what it is, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, they're in a tough spot. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but, um, you know, I, I, who knows? Maybe, maybe being cornered will produce some crazy outcomes and we'll see something uh, really innovative. I hope so. It would be fun to, fun to watch. I think we'll know the end is near, if there is an end, when Jose Andres closes restaurants. Yeah. When that happens, or the pizza place closes, or the Umami Burger guys say, all right, we're done throwing money at this. When those partners start defecting, because the only thing that SLS has, or SBE has in that, is their, their dining. You know, At this stage of the game, the nightclubs are failing, and now they have the dining. So once that stuff starts to go out, then it's pretty obvious at that point that Stockbridge is has both oars in their hands, and they got to find a new direction. I've got, I've got it. I've got it. A free <laughs> shuttle. A free shuttle. <laughs> free shuttle from Samstown. No, yeah. uh, the free one-way shuttle. <laughs> so we'll bring you in. We will not take you back, and you get yeah. a free drink. Um, yeah, I don't. I wish the world could be solved with the world's problems could be solved with free shuttles, but I don't think it's going to get it done. They need a roller coaster. They shouldn't have got rid of that old one. Maybe it's still available. They could, uh, you know, repaint it. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's about going after two or three groups of people. I think that's what's. And this is good. well. This is going to. I. I don't want to. I'll talk more about that later. About going after two, identifying two or three market segments to go after when we talk about Elon. Okay. I'll save it for then. But it's cool. going to be, when I'm talking about that, I think this also applies to SLS. Okay. Well, I, want, I do want to move on. We, there's still a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. You guys have some more time to dig into some more of this stuff? Yeah. For you guys, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I do want to mention it because it's, it includes all of my favorite things. Um, early June in Las Vegas, our dear friend John was playing uh, the games of chance at Bellagio and... Uh, was wearing an Apple Watch and was told to remove said Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating. Chucky wrote a post on this. I think this is really interesting uh, yeah. because we continue, you know, we see this when we get new technology and to see how it interacts with the casino world. Um, you know, famously, like Google Glass came along and it, it uh, got bounced as well. Um, that uh, Google Glass hasn't been a commercial success, so that kind of nobody cares. But, uh, you know, this is a, an Apple product, and it's yet, it's yet to be seen if the Apple Watch will be a huge commercial success, but um, definitely a high-profile launch. And so for a place like Bellagio to say, yes, you know, you can't wear that, I think is really interesting. I, I've, this, to me, feels like uh, an interesting friction because let's say that it is popular, the watch I mean, I, this seems a little untenable to me. And I, I understand that... Um, you know, from the perspective of game protection, they've got to be aware of how this stuff works and be sensitive to it. But, you know, practically speaking, I could do any kind of the same sort of covert communication with a phone in my pocket that mm-hmm. with that a watch on my arm. So I think this is kind of silly. 
And I guess talking to John, he indicated that uh, you know some of the other properties he told the story to, to dealers, and they kind of rolled their eyes. So yeah. I, it, it may be that this is a contained to Bellagio, one crazy casino manager's rule. But um, I think it's fascinating because if they start telling people they can't bring their technology to the casino, people are going to be like, well, fuck this place. Yep. Um, so it seems like potentially something that's dangerous if it's caught on. I, I don't know. I sort of just rambled on there for a minute. Did I miss any of the high, of the uh, high points? No, I think you you pretty much got it all. He had worn it one night, and uh, a couple of the the pit crew dealers whatnot were sort of they knew he had an Apple Watch on. They were sort of ribbing him a little bit, like we're going to make you take it off uh, the first night, and then the the second day. Uh, Another person at the table, they saw it was obviously a Samsung sort of Galaxy wear gear, whatever those are called, watch things, and they made him take it off. And he said, well, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm wearing an Apple Watch too. And they said, you got to take yours off also. (laughs) And there was a big fracas about this. Obviously, you know... These guys need to do their homework on devices, and they just don't know what the Apple Watch is technologically capable of. You do, I do, Dave, you probably do too. Uh, they know we know it's <laughs> what's it going to do? Nothing, right? right. So uh, it's more of a fear of the unknown deal, and they don't want to get caught with their pants down. So they're being hyper sensitive right. to to new technology. It's, it's like, you know, I think of that scene in Casino where the guy's cheating and he's got that elaborate contraption, right, which is, yeah. you know, something that people used to do to signal each other. Right. I, to write an app that would do the same thing with my iPhone in my pocket would be trivial. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's – I understand that this is an issue, but I, telling people – I mean, let's say that you, you know, went back in time to 2007 and you're like, you banned the iPhone from your casino because you were worried about this sort of thing. Yeah. It's just people – won't stand for that. These things are part of our lives now, and they have to find a way to keep their games fair uh, from with people and accommodate these things from people that have no that aren't trying to cheat. They're just yeah. trying to live. So you know they've got to figure this out. I don't know, Dave. As a guy that worked in security, I'm curious if you have a, a take on this. Yeah, you know, I think it's the same thing. When cell phones first came out, it was like, oh, no cell phones, and obviously that went by the wayside pretty quickly. So. I think if it does catch on, you're going to see a lot of them. I think as far as the game protection stuff goes, you have to realize that these people are getting scammed every day and losing a lot of money yeah. and looking pretty stupid. And this really does happen. It's not like this just happens in movies. It actually happens. People really do scam the casinos all the time. So they're very alert to that. You know, If I was the pit boss or floorman, I might want to look at the person's play history and see, well, is this somebody who's scamming stuff, you know, somebody who is a $10, $25 blackjack player who's still playing $25 blackjack and doesn't seem to have any red flags in their history of being a scammer, you know, probably I would not make them take it off. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is if this becomes a thing at all. But uh, caught my eye, as you yep. can imagine. So, um, okay, moving on. Uh, Elon, Elon, Elon. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Chuck. I'm sure you do now with your best yep. friends. 
Um, <laughs> let's talk about Elan. The Venetian blind uh, renderings were made available through the good folks at uh, the Fox affiliate in Las Vegas. Um, some early renders of this project on the New Frontier site uh, that were published without the uh, company's um, well, they didn't want. They don't want them out there. They're preliminary. They're early. Uh, they aren't super thrilled with sharing stuff at this stage, and so I'm sure that they would rather this had not happened. Um, but they did get out there, and so of course we uh, comment on them. So they were. Uh, you posted them on your site, vacuumstripping.com, um, amongst, and I saw them there amongst other places as well. I mean. You know, I think the comments were pretty overwhelmingly negative in terms of it, there's so little to look at, but this basically, from what we've seen in these two renders, very boring looking stuff. Um, so I, I've, you know, I tell me if you disagree with my characterization, but I, I think the comments on the VT thread were generally like, really? Hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know. What do you? What did you think when you saw this stuff? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I. Uh... You know, I think I had uh, the same reaction as everybody else. And I, uh, you know, it's a square box. I thought your comment that it looks like a Venetian blind was perfectly accurate. Uh, it's kind of like the east side cannery meets M Resort. This is what I thought when I first saw these. Um, uh, I just didn't see this being anything. And I was frankly just surprised and shocked that uh, people who spent such time, a team of people who had spent such time working with the master, Steve Wynn and Dee Butler and Roger Thomas, that this was the best they could come up with. So I think I agreed with pretty much everybody. I, I didn't go too deep into the renderings because I was going out of town when I saw this so uh, I know there's another one or two that are, that are out there that I have not uh, analyzed but since that time I was and I really can't talk about this except to say this much but uh, that day I got uh, an invitation to come to come out there and meet with Andrew to uh, basically look at the, the, the plans of the whole thing and um, what you're seeing on, on these is not the project. It is the project, but it's not the project. Uh, he's um, trying not to get in trouble here. You've got to understand this. Uh, he's, he's unveiled everything to me, and we're going to be writing about it in the future. But I, right for now, I can't really talk much about it, except at what I saw, I agree with what, everybody else's assessment was very unimpressive. Dave, I want to ask you, because the, in, in the um, wake of this disclosure, they got a comment from Andrew, and so he did confirm approximately 1,100 guest rooms, which is notable because it's really small for a strip resort. Um, and we don't know if that's a phased thing or what, but even for a first phase, that's a small number. Um, any thoughts on how they could make, assuming they're going to have to spend billions of dollars to make to build this place, uh, how do they make any kind of money back on 1,100 rooms? This is what I was thinking about. You know, I think in Vegas today it's very important to go after at least two or three big target groups of people just because there's so much uncertainty. So, hey, there is a slowdown in the convention business. We'll shift to Asian high rollers. You know, hey, Chinese government starts to throttle back in them. We will shift to foodies. You know, you need 
to have at least two or three major groups of people that you're attracting in addition to the people who just want to stay in a pretty room. So I'm not sure that 1,100 rooms gives them the, the runway to do that. So that's something I would be very concerned about. You know, is the property big enough to keep full no matter what the fluctuations are? I think a lot of people... You know, the funny thing about Vegas is that people keep on making the same mistakes, and I think this is true in life. You know, before the recession, it was build, 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 add lots of rooms. And everybody said, great, as long as we add a lot of rooms, we'll be fine. You know, then during the recession, the Asian high rollers became such a huge thing, and it became the case where you didn't need to have a ton of rooms as long as you had, you know, five big players in a week that would pay the bills for everything, and everything else was kind of just for show. Well, now we're in a period where that's not the case so much anymore. And you can see the Baccarat numbers are way down. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in building a big property that can have a lot of different focuses so you don't have all, all your eggs in one basket. So I'd like to see them having the ability to do that. I think that's one of the things that has hurt SLS is they haven't really been able to do that because they target people who are in a nightlife and dining and... Locals hasn't, you know, I don't think that's really taken off. Maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't really heard from a lot of locals who were playing there. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I had something like a $40 food credit, and I just never did it, not because, you know, I, which I would love to have gone out of the place, but it was just every day it was like, well, it's really far away, and I don't know, I'll do that next week. So I think the food credit's expired. So it's kind of funny, where literally they were giving me money to come there, and I still never quite found the time, although I wanted to. I never right. quite found the time. So I, I think they've got to be very leery of that. Also, you've got to realize you're building across the street from Steve freaking Wynn, right. you know? And you are not going to... It's like if you're going to... In MMA, you know, you're going against a, an elite striker and you're going to come in there and think you're going to box with them. You know, now instead you have to go to your ground game, try to take him down and work a submission yeah. or something. With Steve, you know, you're not, there's, I just don't see how you'd be able to deliver the Steve Wynn level of design in a way that would be superior to him. So I think you have to do something different. And I don't know what that is, but you have to be stronger where he's weaker. Don't right, not, not try to beat him as at his own game because you know that's a, a long shot. I you know yeah. it's so it's so interesting considering the um, pedigree of the people involved in the project. You, the obvious thing to do is to look at the folks involved and say, well, they're going to try to do the win playbook, but better or different or, or amended because they sort of wrote co-wrote the win playbook. Is that what they will do? I we don't know. We will. Uh, I don't know. Um, Charles might know, but he's not saying. Uh, but they're not. <laughs> but they're not saying. They're not saying either way. Um, See, I, I don't even know if you could replicate that. You know, it's like this. So, like, let's say because the Steve Wynn playbook is so much more than Steve Wynn. You know, you've got Roger Thomas, you've got Devoider Butler. It's like saying, you know, well, we're, you know, we're going to take the people who produced Rush and their stage crew and some really talented people and we're going to put them on stage and have them do Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Is it going to be the same? No, because it's not the people who've been playing together for 30 years, you know, right. 40 years. It's going to be a different thing. So I, I don't know. It's well, not necessarily because you are getting, uh, you're getting Andrew and Rob Osland and a whole bunch of other folks on the team as well. So, 
Yeah, and they're people. So it's not completely to, unrelated. Yeah, but they know how. It's not to, the stage crew. These guys have yeah. been. It's like the trombone player and the trumpet player and some other people. Yeah. So, or Genesis, if you think about it, might okay. be a better, more accurate thing. They had all these folks at the beginning of the tune. It was a five-piece band, but then mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel left and. Phil Collins became a singer. Nobody thought that would ever work. Yeah. Because Peter Gabriel is Peter Gabriel, an amazing showman, a guy with just conceptual ideas nobody could even get. But they went on to have much huger success with the drummer singing. But doing different stuff, not doing the progressive stuff, doing commercial stuff. No. There was transition I, period, yeah. so we can nitpick about yeah. the history of Genesis for, <laughs> yeah. for quite some time, and I, I imagine everybody's going to hang up. At <laughs> but but the principle is is that if you have the right people and things are creative, uh, you know they very possibly will learn from the master and move forward. I so. think they have, and you know, I think the question is how do they apply that in a way that's going to benefit them yeah. and is going to also leverage what James Packer's bringing into it. One thing I was very curious about is how, and I don't have an answer to this, so that's why I'll ask the question anyway, is uh, how are they going to handle dealing with, like we mentioned before, a slimmed down Caesars and, you know, an active, still active and always vigorous Steve Wynn across the street and Sheldon and MGM and everybody else, also with Resorts World, a giant very uh, strikingly themed resorts world next door. You know, that's serious competition. Plus, they don't have the Rolodex. I don't know what they're going to get from Crown. Uh, They don't have the algorithm to parse out all this stuff or the infrastructure uh, to to, to parse it out to, you know. So it's, this is a huge, huge task to, to try and, it's a big mountain to climb. It's not just about a building and uh, market segments and whatnot. There's just so much. Anybody, as we just talked about with SLS, anybody getting into this game, man, it is not easy to start a joint and a company and a platform. No, it's. I mean, starting without all of that stuff is very, very difficult. And I, I think, not to jump backwards at all, but I, you know, there's um, the famous. Uh, famous quotes trying to skate to where the puck is going to be, right? Which basically means, like, don't just compete with the way where people are today. You've got to be able to look into the future and see what the world is going to be like and build for that, especially when you're building something that takes years to come to, to, come to market, right? That, you know, it took Win five years total to do Win Las Vegas from conception to opening. It, these things take a long time to open, and the, the world can change. Plus, when you're building a hotel like this, that costs as much money as it does, you have to build something that will be able to uh, be an economic engine for decades. Yeah. So you got to be really smart about it. You got to you can't look at the last thing that was successful. You got to predict the next thing that's going to be successful, uh, which is hard, right? And it's uh, it's easy to get that wrong. Um, even you know really smart people can get that wrong. Um, I would say in this case, uh, the folks doing it have. I have a lot of confidence that they have as good a chance as anybody uh, of being able to make that prediction. But even if you nail that, there's still so many other things that can go wrong. Fortunately for them versus SLS, they've got a much better location. I mean, yeah. it's like night and day, in my opinion. I know that SLS people have really tried to play down the impact of their location, but I still think that that's 
just you know a, a uh, an anchor around their neck. Um, so these guys are in a much better spot there. But it will be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. And I, I, I hope that I uh, I hope that future disclosures um, make me more excited about the physical building than I am now. Um, you know, Resorts World is interesting because it's like this crazy spectacle. Um, and so I think I'm excited about that project for that reason. It's just so weird and crazy. And it's like a, you know, reminds me of 15 years ago. <laughs> um, in a good way. In a, in, yeah. a fun, in a fun way, not in a in a you know, looking backwards kind of way. Um, and then the, and then these guys, uh, I, you know, was probably more excited about the team and now I'm even less excited about the building. So I, I, I'm hoping that changes as we learn more and, and more comes along because, uh, you know, it's a not, you don't get that many opportunities to, to, uh, paint on this canvas and they've got a pretty good, pretty good piece of canvas there. So I want to see what they do. Okay, moving on. Dave wrote an article in Vegas 7 where he says bars are all that matter and casinos should be shut down. Dave, do you want to talk huh. about your article? <laughs> yes. I did, think I, this, did I get that wrong? Maybe a little. I think this okay. dovetails with what's going on at the Mirage, which I read about on Vegas Tripping. Yeah. So, Chuck, I'm going to shoot pass the puck back to you for a second and talk about that a little bit. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, the, the puck, um, the Mirage is doing some construction on the casino floor. They've got tarps up. They're, uh, they've moved tables into weird spots. They've put a new cage up, and apparently they're putting in a whole bunch of bars with entertainment into the center areas of the floor. So less gambling, more booze. And the reason why is because that's what's growing. The gambling really isn't growing. It still hasn't reached the pre-recession high. I know I say that all the time, but it still hasn't gotten there. And I don't think... There, I think at this point, nobody really expects it to. And the growth is in especially booze. So people are coming to Vegas for booze, drinking booze while they're in Vegas, so give them more chances to drink booze. And this is just another example of how they're able to pivot and adjust to the market as things are happening. So they're not saying, hey, let's put in more double diamonds machines because people love slot machines. It's let's put in more places for people to drink because that's what makes money. Yeah, it's definitely been making a lot of money. And I saw the Mirage tarps up when I was there for dinner three or four weeks ago. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see. It's a pretty significant reconfiguration of their main casino floor that they're doing. And, of course, they've made changes over the past years, um, moving High Limit around and creating the Baccarat Salon and moving out the Baccarat Bar and changing stuff. But this is actually like relocating the casino cage um, so, you know, it's a pretty significant uh, switcheroo that they've got going on there. Um, no, it's interesting. You know, I guess it comes as no surprise that, uh, that people are making loads and loads of money uh, on, the, on the alcohol stuff. But it's, I think, Dave, your comment that, um, you know, maybe people don't expect the gambling to return to pre-recession uh, levels or basically to continue to grow, I think that's really interesting. It'll be, I'll be fascinated to see if that ends up being the case. It hasn't yet, and I don't see how realistically it's going to, just the way things are going. If you look at the trends, more people are coming to Vegas, but fewer people are gambling in Vegas. I ran these numbers a while ago. This isn't a column a while ago, but something like, I think since 2007, we've had, there's about four or five million more people a year coming to Vegas, and there's about two and a half million 
people a year, fewer gambling. So even though having more people coming, there's actually fewer people physically gambling in Vegas these days. And that's the kind of trend that I don't think is going to, I don't think that's going to turn around quickly right. if it ever does. Well, we shall see. They can, they can always reconfigure back if they need to, right? So nothing's permanent in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's the good thing. Does right. this bar's number include like the slushy places and like uh, uh Container sales? I'm not sure if that falls under food and beverage or retail. I'll have to check that out. Because it could be, so like the, the slushy places that are in the malls and stuff like that, that could just be a straight, that could be under other for retail rents and stuff because they're not directly, mm. it's not part of the food and beverage. You know, the VP of food and beverage isn't in charge of that. It's whoever the least operator is. So I'm not really sure. VP of slushies? <laughs> That's a cool title. (laughs) Um, Speaking of ridiculous things, uh, Dave, your former boss, Donald (laughs) Trump, is running for president of the United States, and he is polling well, though I think, you know, at this point, that doesn't really mean very much. But, um, yes, so Donald Trump, a famous uh, developer slash former casino operator slash personal grooming expert, um, <laughs> is announced that he is trying to run for president as a Republican and had uh, a now widely covered and mocked um, introductory speech where he offended half of the globe. Um, I mean, Dave, what do you think about this? We don't have to dwell on this. This show isn't about politics, but it's just I, the guy is such a buffoon. Um, and <laughs> seeing him do this, he's, he's sort of threatened to do this so many times, and this time he's actually doing it, at least sort of. I'll be fascinated to see what happens. What's your take on this whole thing? I deeply regret that Bob Stupak is not still alive oh. to debate him. <laughs> that, because he, he, Stup, no. <laughs> running mate. Stupak, no, never running mate. <laughs> Stupak would have done it too. I mean, Stupak was telling me a story about how he, when Trump the game came out, the board game, how he offered Donald Trump to... To, to bet a million dollars on it and play it in live TV because he figured out a way that he would win the game because <laughs> Stupak was so freaking smart. Right. So it's like, man, he would have... Oh, God, I wish we could have seen him face Donald Trump in a debate. I don't, I don't even care what they were talking about. Whatever it was, it would have been great. <laughs> That's my biggest regret. I, so do we think that uh, Donald Trump's going to win and be the next president of the United States? You want to place a bet on that? I bet you if he does, a lot of people are going to move to Canada. Yeah, people always say they're going to move to XYZ place if something happens, and they never, they never do. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I don't, I don't want no Donald Trump as no president. He's, but. he's going to do for America what he did for Atlantic City. Yeah, let's only hope. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, uh, we uh, probably won't spend all that much time talking about Donald Trump on this show in the future, but it is just uh, um, amazing. I, if nothing else, I think it's going to be a source of a lot of uh, comedy over the next months. Well, I assuming. think it's got to be a distraction because there's no way that he gets serious fundraising money. And without that, where do you go these yeah, days? I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody thinks it's serious, but he's, uh, he's out there. He's doing his thing. I, I might actually watch a, a Republican debate or two if he's out there. Just because he says such crazy shit. Um, I, it, it would be entertaining, if nothing else. Okay. Um, let's quickly talk about Macau before we are done. So, you know, the Macau, Macau has been um, sliding for a long time, and that continues. 
And uh, it's caused a pretty massive erosion in the valuation of uh, American companies that have uh, interest in Macau. I, I, you know, we've, we've watched this happen and talked about this for a while, so I'm not sure how much there is to add. But, you know, basically, this is continuing. They're seeing, um, is it, what, 10? Uh, is, June was Macau's ninth straight double-digit decline. That's a long time um, for something, you know, that uh, seemingly the, gov- the government's controlling this, right? This isn't because Chinese, the Chinese folks in and around Macau decided they don't like gambling anymore. This is a result of uh, policy change. So I think it's interesting to see that this has continued. Um, I, there's so much that probably could be said and debated, but you know the government of China is fairly opaque in terms of their decision making and how why they do certain things. The stated reasons are, uh, you know. Rooting out corruption, I sort of wonder how much of it is just kind of like remind the American casino companies that, <laughs> that they are at the whim of the government. Um, but any anything that we need to add about Macau here? I mean, is is this going to stop? Is are we going to hit a bottom at some point where it stops continuing to to just decline? I think so. I read somewhere that the visa rules were being relaxed again, which may lead to a rebound in the mass business, which is what everybody was saying was going to get them through this. And before this, you know, through most of 2014, there were indicators that the mass was growing while the VIP was declining. So if that's actually allowed to happen organically, like you said, and the people in China who want to gamble are allowed to come and gamble again, I think that would alleviate a lot of the fears and probably get those stocks back up. Yeah, so they, the Chinese government has slightly tweaked the policy um, as of this week, I think. Um, basically, it, it's gone from you could only visit Macau twice every 60 days. Now you can go twice a month, so twice every 30 days. And you can stay for seven days instead of five. So it, you know, it's not uh, a super dramatic change, but that could have a, a real material impact. I mean, that's a lot more visitation. You know what I want to say here? As a patriotic American... Yeah. On the eve of our, our nation's anniversary of our independence, doesn't that make you really glad that you live in a democracy? Steve where the government told me that China was the best place in the telling world. Telling you, I mean, see, <laughs> it's, like, it's like if your HOA was running your life. Yeah. I just couldn't imagine anything. You know, like, well, why are they telling people how often they can go to Macau? What do they care? I don't know. Yeah, well, so to devil's advocate there, Dave, I completely agree with you. I don't want to live in a totalitarian, totalitarian regime. On the other side of the coin, if uh, every member of my local government was taking all of the money out of the city's coffers to go spend at Win Macau, I might get pissed off about that too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there is maybe, you know, the, if corru- corruption is as rampant as uh, we've been led to believe, uh, <laughs> maybe it's not entirely a bad thing. Um, the last thing on the list is Macau-related, but Charles, you posted some renderings from Wind Palace that were released by a subcontractor. Um, yep. Anything in there that we should talk about? I, was, I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, if you're a casino design person, how they've... Uh, this is uh, kind of an evolution of the chambered casino deal. Everything's very much in these little boxes, and they also have a macro structure uh, of multiple floors of casino where each chunk of the casino is controlled by a specific junket operator. So if you go to uh, your play is uh, originated via Bob's Junket Company 
which means basically that Bob is your loan shark and he's going to help you get there and you're going to pay him back when you blow all your money. Uh, you're going to sit always in this section of the casino. You're not going to play anywhere else. You're always going to be there. So Jim's junket company is next to him and so on and so forth. So you really don't even have any choice of where you're going to sit and how you're going to lose your money. You're, you're going to be very organized about this. Uh, some other things is just general shapes of the casino, uh, the layout, what's where. Uh, the subcontractor that posted them, they have since vanished, uh, these, the renderings, but hopefully you were smart enough to save them to your personal hard drive. But you, if you look at them, you can see a lot of real detailed stuff about the various entrances in the casino and where, uh, what the, uh, what the thing is, sky bus, the sky, sky yeah, gondola. Yeah. Right. It's going to look like it's got this glass kind of enclosure over the top of it. A lot of detail. The fountain show looks to be pretty spectacular. Um, good stuff. And they're making a lot of progress uh, on the building. If you go do some searches on the Instagram, you're going to see crazy construction photos of uh, Wind Palace. Yeah, it's definitely coming along. I, you know, what, what you can't tell from uh, diagrams like this is, sort of how that's going to be broken up. Because you can see a, f a floor plan of the casino, and, you know, you, you look at a place like the uh, Venetian in, um, in Macau, and it's like, or, or Sands even, but it's like this giant open room full of zillions of table games, right? And yeah. if you only look at the layout, you might think that they would be doing something like that at Wynn. I find it hard to believe that that's what Wynn would do. I assume that there's all kinds of architectural elements on the floor that will sort of break yeah. it up in a yeah. much more interesting way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see it come along. And, and I do think people should go out and do some searching because it is – the building really is coming along. Like it's getting to the – getting close to the point where the building is looking more and more done and they're going to be doing all the interior stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah it's fun and exciting to watch. All right. Um, that's it for today. That's what we're going to talk about. We're done. We're done. Uh <laughs> I would now like to migrate into our Sherbets segment. So Sherbets, our opportunity to make recommendations for you, um, something we think you might be interested in. Do you guys have anything you want to share with the gang? Um, Chuck, can I start with you? Uh, you know, I, I don't, don't know really if I have anything to share except that uh, I went to uh, San Francisco last weekend to go see the... Um, the remaining members, the surviving members of the Grateful Dead, and they got together and they played with uh, Bruce Hornsby on the keyboards and uh, Jeff Cimenti on keyboards and Trey Anastasio from Fish playing the guitar, and I had a really great time. Uh, these guys haven't played. It's actually 20 years this week since their last show. It was the last show they played with Jerry Garcia before he died, and uh, at the end of the first set, a giant rainbow came over the sky. It was, it was really kind of a wonderful experience. Uh, it was the day of the Supreme Court decision. It's Pride weekend. It was really just a, a, a pinnacle music and spiritual experience to go through with all these other people who are obviously big fans who have been waiting for this forever. So that's it, the dead. How was uh, the stadium? Levi's Stadium is a pretty high-tech uh, green... Uh, well-organized place. Uh, I do have a couple of complaints. 
the uh, and this could be because of the fans. You know, being a rock and roll guy, I like to get the T-shirts when I go to the show, uh-huh. and and the other fans a little fussy. They were holding them up to their face and say, "Oh no, this one you shouldn't get that one because the tie dyes are not slimming." You know, and <laughs> so it it t- I was two people deep online, and it took 25 minutes for me to buy a T-shirt. You know, because. Ooh. Everybody's trying it on and looking at each other, and it becomes a community discussion. And the, and the, uh, the staff itself, uh, they weren't really saying, Here, here's your shirt, get the hell out of here. But, but the venue is good. They had a great assortment of food. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of out in the middle of hard-to-get-where, their yeah. place. Um, if, you're, if you're living in San Francisco, it's a drag. I stayed in Sunnyvale, so it was pretty close. Uh, but, but it was a cool venue. They had Wi-Fi, and it sort of worked. <laughs> but it was it was a uh, you know I I say that because I didn't really use it that much I used it a couple times but I got so involved in the show I wasn't going to bother with my phone it was not important but uh, it was a fun time. Cool. How That's was nice. the music? It was good. You know there was there was certainly a couple of a couple of problems. Uh, they were a little under rehearsed. You know these guys have they haven't been playing together it's not like it's a band that's been on the road this is their first show their first set in twenty years. Uh, they've been playing in individual groups. Some of the guys are in a little better shape than others. The bass player is 75 years old, which is, uh, you know, it's great that he's out there. And some of the other guys are pushing, pushing, uh, pushing vintage. But uh, in terms of the other guys filling in, like Trey did a pretty fantastic job. He didn't try and play like Jerry, but he he captured the sounds like in the spots that it was supposed to. But he played his own his own kind of game. And uh, didn't overpower them, so he he was very patient, very subtle, and and it was it was great. Very good, Dave. Anything you want to share with us? Yeah, there's a new book about Nevada history out. Oh. It's by Michael Green, and it's called Nevada History of the Silver State. Hmm. And um, Professor Green is one of the best Nevada historians around. So I highly recommend, if you're interested in the history of Nevada, definitely pick up that book. It's a good one. Cool. Does he teach at UNLV? He sure does. Hmm. Do you have any, like, historical competition? I don't think so. I think we complement each other pretty well. So. Are, you just be, are you just being nice because he's a colleague and you actually hate this book? No, he's a, <laughs> he's a cool guy. It's an awesome. I'm so glad the book is out. He's really cool. Excellent. He's a, he's a really he's a really nice guy too. In addition to being a great scholar, he's also a pretty cool guy, which you don't see so much in academia sometimes. So that's it's just kind of nice. Professor Green in the library with the mm-hmm. books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, I'm also going to recommend a book. Um, it's a novel, fiction. Uh, it's called Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson, who is a fairly famous sci-fi kind of writer guy. Um, it's his latest. It is uh, a fictional account of what happens when the people of the Earth learn that they have two years before the planet is going to be destroyed, Uh-oh. and how do they attempt to survive. Um, it's really great. I'm actually not all the way through. I'm like 85% done, but it's one of those books that... Uh, you can't stop reading. So I really enjoy it. If you like sci-fi stuff or even like post-apocalyptic kind of stuff, I would think you would enjoy it. There's a lot of, um, you know, I would say accurate and interesting uh, orbital mechanics type space stuff in it as well. So Mm. it's it's a good book. I really enjoy it and I would recommend it. 
So how is Earth going to get destroyed? Is it a comet impact or something like is the planet itself going to be torn uh, apart? Yeah, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, though they do this, – this is revealed in like the first chapter of the book, so it's not like I'm revealing too much. Um, the moon is destroyed and the, uh, the moon eventually – the pieces of the moon then rain down on the planet and destroy it. Mm. Wow. So – how does the moon get destroyed? Yeah. Uh, so that they don't, the humans don't exactly know um, that they huh. uh, they um, believe that it was because of some kind of super fast particle that pierced through the moon's core and caused it to break up. Seismic like event it. of some sort. It's a good book. I would totally recommend it. It definitely you captures did, your attention. You say the humans don't know. Well, there's no supernatural. This is not like a okay. Because there's, no, there's no dragons in this book. <laughs> okay, all right. Because that assumes that somebody else knows. The humans don't know, but well, I mean, so I mean, honestly, the way they play it is they they, they can't explain it. They okay. don't know exactly what happened. They have some theories, but they don't know. And the book doesn't try to say this is what happened. Uh, the humans at that point are too busy trying to figure out what they're going to do. So Man. it's good. Recommend I like it. that because it's kind of hand wavy with the thing, but it's it's so implausible that it's plausible. You know, I was, I'm really glad that you didn't say, well, somebody set off a nuclear, you know, bomb and that fractured the moon because that's totally impossible. So it's kind of cool. So it's like implausible, but it doesn't, it doesn't contradict anything in known science because they left it vague. So I like that. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to read this book. You should. It's good. I think you'd like it. Um, is, is it tough reading? Because I'm a little slow. No, it's not tough reading. I mean, it's okay. it's like it's not a dumbed down book by any means. Like it's got they. You don't have to have a, a degree in physics to understand the stuff in it or anything like that. Um, but they also will. You know, they explain how orbital mechanics work and how uh, astrophysics works to some degree. So okay, you know, that's too smart for me. Some thinking involved. You'll do fine. Thanks. Um, all right, that's what we've got for today. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. I really don't know how much it helps, but every other podcast <laughs> does that, so I'm just going to say it again, too. Um, if you want to leave a comment for us uh, to respond to, uh, VegasGangPodcast.com is the place to do that. We don't get a ton of comments on those shows, but we, the comments that we do get are usually um, very astute, and so I definitely yeah. appreciate the folks that take the time to post there. There's always some, some good reaction. Um, you can also talk to us on Twitter. Uh, the, the Twitter handle is at Vegas Gang. And um, that's it for today. Thanks to you guys for being here. Uh, let me go around the table here so you can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you on America's birthday? They can <laughs> find me by commenting on VegasGang.com, VegasGangPodcast.com. Yeah. Like you, I really want people to comment on this more and also Twitter discussions and all that fun stuff. You know, I'm not on Twitter 24 hours a day, but if you mention me in the post, I'll find it and respond. So I'd love it if we, if we could have more conversation about this. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I agree. And so if they did want to tag you, it's uh, you, at UNLV at Gaming. UNLV Gaming, yes. Okay. Just want to make sure people know where to find you. Oh, yeah. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? I, do, I agree with Dave. Uh, I think we might need to change the theme on, this, on the WordPress because it doesn't yeah. work so well on a phone. So if you want, I'll look around and see if we can find something. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'll look around and we'll we'll upgrade it so it works a little better on the phone. I think that's generally what the deal is with comments these days. Is everybody's looking at their phone. If they can't do it easy, they're just going to post it on Twitter. So, yep. 
So I agree with all that. And where can people find you? People can find me at VegasTripping.com. Hard and heavy, hitting it crazy. We got hotel room reviews. You got to check out Mike's thing on the crazy Bellagio suite. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I got to see that suite, and I, I uh, definitely recommend the review. It's a crazy room. I never yeah. thought I'd be able to go out on those little balconies up at the top of the place, yeah. but I did get to, so thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Hunter, or you can download a Vegas Mate from the iOS App Store for iPhone or iPad. And um, thank you all. Have a fantastic weekend. Happy birthday, America. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> Let the eagle scream. <laughs>